According to ESPN, Dennis Lindsay has completed 26 trades, 14 of which have been draft-related since 2012. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. You'll hear from ESPN's draft expert, Mike Schmitz, on today's show. We'll go through 16 through 20 and get you the dates for what's happening. As you saw from Woj's Twitter last night, Donovan catching up like everybody. They go from in talks to completed in a matter of moments. Monday, trades are allowed. The draft is Wednesday. Free agency begins Friday, and contracts can be signed Sunday. The only place to go, utahjazz.com, to keep up to date on the official word once it comes out for transactions with this team. Let's get into our draft coverage. Brought to you by University of Utah Health, trusted health care provider of the Jazz family and yours. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. ESPN 16 through 20. Mind you, Mike Schmitz's 16 through 20. And he'll get into international prospects as well, which he knows much more about, having seen these guys at 16, 15 years old. At 16, Cole Anthony. He's been on the scene for a while. Five-star point guard, went to North Carolina. Out of New York, son of Greg Anthony. Everybody knows that. But as a point guard, very talented. He had a knee injury at North Carolina, which didn't hurt him in the numbers. They stayed around the same place that he was before, according to Ken Palm. Like his true shooting got a tick better, but it was marginal the difference. His effective field goal percentage, a tick better, marginal difference. He's a shot creator as a lead guard, and with UNC having such a down year, it was all incumbent on him. He scored 19 points, grabbed 6 rebounds, 4 assists. The rebounds was the most by a North Carolina guard in at least 50 years. He started getting buzzed because he played at the Nike Academy against NBA players. And that experience is why I'm more confident than I would think. He is playing down in that he's a little bit older in this classification. But Roy Williams said he was the best point guard that he ever recruited. Hubert Davis, who you remember from ESPN as an analyst on college basketball, he's an assistant over there with the Tar Heels, says he's the best point guard that he's ever been around. Anthony can put up numbers. He averaged a triple-double in high school. So at least from what I saw and what I gathered, a lot of the bad points of the Carolina team, it fell on Cole Anthony. That's why he's not as as high as maybe his recruiting profile would have expected. 17, a prospect that I really enjoy, Sadiq Bey out of Villanova. 21 years old, 6'8", 215, came from the Sidwell School in the DMV, which produced Josh Hart and, oh, the Obamas. He was a two-year starter at Villanova and has the potential for a 3 and D forward spot. He's a good cutter, a good passer, excels at the catch and shoot. Look at his splits. 47% from the field, 45% from three, 77% from the free throw line. I trust Jay Wright. So when he says that he trusts his basketball IQ, that means Bay really does have it. And if you watch him, he's playing in an offense and playing in the flow of a game where he's also letting Gillespie eat, a true team player and one that gets things done. 
I like what Sadiq Bey can do. 17 seems about right in this draft. 18, first of the projects, Alexei Pokushevsky. You've heard about this guy on the internet. Andy Larson is obsessed with him. Seven-footer out of Serbia. The concern, he only weighs 215 pounds. Picking him right now will not yield anything. He needs to adjust to the physicality of the American game, whether that's at the G League or at the NBA level. He needs to add weight. But what excites everybody is the fact that you see him crossover, has a good handle. He's seven foot putting the ball between his legs. He's shooting threes at seven foot. Now he started his his experience in professional ball at 13 when he came over to Greece. Played for David Blatt at 16. Played Olympiakos. But David Locke said it on the last pod. He was playing against Aaron Fox. Level of competition, I don't know so much about that. Playing 250 minutes in the Greek second division doesn't equate to the minutes of Leandro Balmaro or Denny Avdia. Avdia playing in EuroLeague, Balmaro in the Spanish division. Yet, how many times are you going to see a seven-footer do what he does? Think bull bull. Pokushevsky is definitely a project, but a fun one at that. 19, Jalen Smith, big out of Maryland, 6'10", 225. He was a big recruit out of the DMV, and he expanded his range to the three-point line. Shot 37%, free throw line 75%. He improved as the year wore on last season, and what helped is that there were moments where he played at the four instead of the five, banging down low. He has a potential to splash threes as a trailer. Consider this. He was the only player in Division I with 63s in 30 blocks. He added 15 pounds in the college basketball offseason between freshman and sophomore year, and that elevated him to third-team All-American. Smith can take coaching. 7-2 wingspan probably can become an even better defender, but I like the skills that he already has. Smith is smart. 20, Kyra Lewis out of Alabama, 6'3 guard, the fastest point guard in this draft. He considered transferring after Avery Johnson got let go by the Crimson Tide, stuck around for Nate Oates, and Oates unleashed him. They played up and down, transition basketball, allowed him to go into the open floor, and that showed everybody his skills. He has a smart Euro step that he uses when he's blowing by defenders. His true shooting increased during the conference slate. His overall numbers were fine, 46% from the field, probably can finish better at the rim, 36% from three, and 80% from the line. He needs to show that teams need to pay for going under screens, and he can use more guile when it comes to manipulating pick and rolls. He could be really smart to learn gnashing, going behind the basket, dribbling out. He's an exciting player that stayed at home and did well for Alabama. So that's 16 through 20 on the ESPN Best Available. We'll finish up the list, and you'll hear from Mark Titus next time out on the podcast. But next, we have a treat. ESPN's draft analyst. You'll catch him on the coverage. He'll be there with Jay Billis, another round ball roundup guest. And he has the analysis 
of this year's draft class. If you haven't seen them already, he has an interview series with most of these top draftees that you have to watch, where he's going over film, watching strengths and weaknesses, talking through their game to their face. They're looking at clips, and then they're looking at pro guys who do the smart and right things so that they could see it in action. Tremendous amount of respect for Mike Schmitz. Check his stuff out. ESPN Plus, ESPN. He'll be on the broadcast on Wednesday. Let's talk to him now. We began with how he started out doing draft analysis. A windy road, I guess. Not not the most traditional path, but um, you know, I grew up in Arizona. I, you know, played all through high school. Was since I was three years old. Was you know very into the game, played the game, involved in the game. Um, went to University of Arizona and uh, was actually a marketing major, but I just wanted to find a way to kind of stay involved in the game. Um, so I reached out to a few different websites. Uh, I got in touch with Michael Schwartz, who, who was running the, the Suns True Hoop Network blog. And uh, so he kind of gave me a platform, showed me the ropes um, in, in terms of like writing and, and breaking down um, you know, just more covering a team. And, and he was looking for someone to to do some video breakdowns. Also, this is when video was kind of just starting to get going. And I was like, hey, you know, I think I have a good feel for the game. Like I've been around in my whole life. I, you know, I can teach myself video and, and try this. And so that's kind of when I started doing video breakdowns of prospects, mostly Suns related. Um, you know, I covered the Arizona basketball team at, for the, the student newspaper out in, in, at U of A. And, um, and then my Toward the end of my college career, I sent Jonathan Gavoni an email and said, hey, I've been doing these prospect breakdowns. If you want to feature them on your website for free, you know, maybe we could collab. And, and he responded. And I think Perry Jones was the first, uh, the first one we did. And um, I was like over the moon for Perry Jones. And, and, and he was like, hey, man, like, it's just I know you're new to this, but I don't know if you want to hit your wagon to, to Perry Jones. And so we worked through that. And um, you know, worked together that year. And then my first year out of college, I took a job as a video coordinator for the Bakersfield Jam in, in the G League, um, you know, helping to run film sessions or be on the court for workouts, really doing a little bit of everything, analytics projects. Um, we had the best record in the league that year, um, you know, had the chance to kind of keep moving up on, on that path. But Jonathan offered me full time to really cover the draft. And, um, you know, I moved out to LA, started going to college games, high school events, um, the combine, things like that uh, in 2000, I guess, 13 that was. And so then just kind of stayed with with Jonathan ever since, Um, you know, did the vertical stuff at Yahoo with Woj. And then that led to ESPN. And, you know, here we are. So what were those growing pains learning not to go over the moon when you see someone's tape? What started you to think, okay, all right, I, I need to temper myself when I'm watching these prospects? Yeah, I mean, Gavoni, you know, obviously is a guy I, you know, owe my career to in in a lot of respects. I mean, he had so much more experience than me at the time. He introduced me to all these scouts and executives who, you know, were open to a young guy like me who didn't play college basketball or in the NBA or in in Europe um, to just kind of being around and being a sponge. And so I kind of learned that um, there's a lot more that goes into it than just popping on some synergy clips, right? And and you got to see them at different stages, get to know them, see how they tick, um, go to college practices, go to high school practices, get, gather intel 
um, and, and kind of learned that all those things, you know, play a, play a big role. And so um, it was definitely a, a learning process, but, um, you know, I think being able to be around teams, being able to be in, in locker rooms, um, you know, I helped the Uganda national team now as an assistant coach in the summers um, with my, who, the guy who was my roommate, one of my dearest friends, he was my roommate in Bakersfield, George Galanopoulos. Uh, he's the head coach of the Texas legends. So he's the head coach of the Uganda national team. And he kind of brought me on to help them a little bit. So I think that experience too, of being around players, um, being in workouts and, and all that kind of gives you different perspectives as to how, you know, these guys operate and, and what makes these prospects tick. What age are you starting to follow the big guys? Like an Imani Bates who we saw last night, when does he, he flash on the radar for you? I would say uh, 15 years old, generally. Um, you know, there's some rare cases, like the kid Victor Wembanyama in, in Europe. I started watching him when he was like 13, just because um, usually in Europe, uh, you know, it's, there's so many major clubs and, and there's a lot of competition amongst agents. And players, like we saw with Luca, they'll sign at, you know, 12, 13 years old sometimes. So um, you'll, you'll hear big names emerging at a young age over there. Uh, and, and he was one of them. And people were telling me, hey, like, we've never seen a prospect like this kid. So he's probably the youngest I've ever evaluated a kid. But generally, 15, 16 years old is kind of when we start seeing the elite kids. Is that how you get these draft interviews? They've been such a help for someone like me to watch uh, you watch film with these players. Is it developing that relationship way early on that you you're able to connect with them? Yeah, I think that really helps, you know, when, when I'm sitting down with, um, you know, Anthony Edwards or, or Tyrese Maxey or whoever it is, you know, it's not the first time I've, I've interviewed them, right. Or, or spoken to them or spent some time with them. Um, especially the international guys like Denny, you know, I've been, evaluating him interviewing him since he was 16 so there's definitely it helps with the level of comfort there and it's my favorite part of my job you know I, I'm I came up obviously on the film side and I think breaking down the game is great but um, doing that and having the interaction with the prospect watching them grow throughout the years being able to help them in any way I, I think is really really rewarding have you noticed that they've They've also enjoyed that part of the entire process, being able to review film, you pointing out weaknesses, which I'm amazed at how you're able to, to do it right in front of them. Did they also find benefit in that as well? Yeah, I think it's different prospect to prospect. Um, but I think for the most part, it's they're used to getting all the same questions, right? It's, um, you know, who, who do you who do you model your game after and uh, things like that. And, and I, they probably get sick of that to some degree. So I think anytime, you know, they're, most of them are basketball junkies. So anytime they can break down some film, watch themselves, I, I think they get excited doing that. And, uh, you know, it's, I was, I've been surprised too. It just kind of uh, their ability sometimes to take criticism or, or feedback. Um, and I think it's important to do it in a, in a way that's constructive. And, and I think the best way has often been showing them, Hey, um, you know, what read could you have made differently here? They'll recognize it and then showing them an NBA player making that correct read, right? And, and so that, I think, gives them a good understanding of, okay, this is what I need to be doing in the NBA to be that caliber of player. That experience that you have with being in, in the film room over at the Bakersfield Jam, having experience as an assistant head coach, I'm sure that also gives you credibility with these players rather than just Oh, this is the draft guy who was looking at Suns prospects and, and going over the moon with people. Yeah, I think it's uh, for some, you know, <laughs> I, I think for some. True. Right? Um, True. 
for others, maybe I'm just the guy behind a computer, but, uh, <laughs> no, I, I try to just kind of let my work do the talking and, you know, I, th I think just, you don't ever want people to be able to say he doesn't work hard enough, right? That's the one thing you can control. So um, for me, pre-COVID, I'd like to be in as many gyms as I can, as many countries, seeing as many players as, as possible and, and getting to know them. And um, so hopefully we'll get back to that at some point here. How have you adapted? It's something that these executives have had to adapt to, having just Zoom interviews and only a limited number of people inside the building. How has COVID affected the way you do jo your job? Yeah, it's changed everything. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, I used to be on planes so often, right? And uh, I, I just took one of my first ones out here to, to Bristol. Um, but it's going to be a lot more film. I think it's going to be a lot more Zoom. And, and I kind of made the, the Zoom interviews and film sessions my, my baby and just kind of tried to focus on that, make the best of it. You know, all the players were just kind of, at home waiting to see what happens, you know? And so I just kind of went down the line and tried to set them all up. And um, so it's, it kept me busy for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely itching to, to get back out there when, when we all can. And uh, you know, the, the summer is generally such a great time to go to the European events, the FIBA events. That's when you see Avdia and Killian Hayes and Pokushevsky play with their junior national team and really get a feel for like who are the next up and coming stars. Um, so I think sooner or later we'll, we'll get back there. But yeah, in the meantime, it's been a lot of film and a lot of zoom. What has there been response from a lot of prospects with what they're doing during COVID? Their last games were when everything shut down with the conference tournaments and they haven't played a basketball, at least competitively in front of big screens until they join a team with the NBA draft. Yeah, it's been different guy to guy, um, agency to agency, player to player. You know, some are in the gym with NBA All-Stars every day and, and some it's just one-on-one -on with the trainer every day. You know, some guys are still at their, at their college. Like Cassius Winston was working out with his brother and a manager in, in East Lansing, you know. So uh, I think it really varies guy to guy. And then even some of these international prospects, um, you know, like, like Pokushevsky, he flies over from, from Greece, uh, comes to LA, is doing workouts in this, you know, empty gym or whatever, um, and then goes back for the draft. And so that's got to be kind of difficult too for, you know, somebody who, um, you know, hasn't spent a ton of time over here and, and comes over and is trying to find his way as the youngest player in the draft. So I think it's really been situation to situation, but we'll, we're going to figure out which guys we're taking it seriously um, as we get closer to the NBA season, you know, who was in shape, who wasn't, because you don't really have a summer league or a training camp to, to get in shape. Um, so I think we'll see pretty early on in their rookie years, like who, who kind of took things seriously during this process spoke to Billis earlier in this week and he said there may not be surefire hall of famers but there are a lot of great role players a lot of good depth in this class what has been your read what what do you see from the class of of 2020 i would agree with billis uh i generally try to agree with billis he's he's uh he's the best in the business but um i think there's a lot of depth throughout the throughout the first round um you know we've talked about the top a lot how there's no zion there's no jaw um and, and so you know I, i'm a big proponent of it's not a it, like we always say oh this isn't a great draft or this isn't a strong draft 
it's not until like a few years out and then you realize, oh, there's Giannis or there's, you know, these guys who, who surprise you or Jimmy Butler or Draymond or, you know, you, Kawhi, you could go down the list, right? So I, I'm not somebody who is going to like rag on this draft because we really don't know what it's going to look like in two, three years. Um, the guys at the top, obviously, just there's a lot of mystery there just because of the 12 games LaMelo played, the three games Wiseman played. Um, you know, Edwards had a little bit of an up and down season. So uh, not a ton of certainty at the top. But as you go down the line, I mean, every single team wants an Isaac Okoro, a Tyrese Halliburton, an Onyeka Okongwu, um, Sadiq Bey. You know, these are guys who are going to play in the NBA right away. And then even later in the draft, um, you know, like uh, Peyton Pritchard, you know, Cassius Winston, like Trey Jones, you know, these guys are going to be able to step in right away, I think, and, and have an impact. So um, you're, you have a lot of rotational guys. You have a lot of starters. Desmond Bain, you could, you could go down the line. Um, it's just missing maybe that surefire all-star. Let's stick with the top for now. You differ with Billis on who you believe is, is the best available. You have LaMelo Ball. What makes him your top prospect? I just think that there's a level of um, basketball instincts that he has that's really, really hard to teach. Uh, and, and that's what stands out most about him. Like even talking to him, he can't really – he's not he, – he won't explain the reads he's making on the court. He's more just playing strictly off of read and react. And that's something that you have to teach guys, you know, and, and that sometimes they don't learn. Like feel for the game is the hardest thing to develop um, in, in a player. And sure, he takes wild shots and he, he doesn't – he's not a disciplined defender. And we could go down the list of things that he doesn't do well or he needs to clean up or questions about him. Um, but just the fact that he can make the reads he does – he can react to a hedging defender with his handle, putting it through his legs and keeping it tight. And like some of the things that he does just instinctually, I think are things that you could put all these other prospects in the gym with the best coaches in the world for, for five years and they wouldn't be able to develop those things. Um, so that's what makes him so intriguing to me. Now, if you told me in three years, Anthony Edwards is the best player to come out of this draft, I would not be shocked one bit. Um, I think it's more a matter of what you're looking for at the top. If you want to, dude who can really, really score the ball and get you a bucket late clock against any defender, it's probably Edwards, right? And if you want someone who's going to be um, the conductor for your team and the engine and make everyone around him better, then I think it's LaMelo. So um, I'm not really in the thought that like ball is in this stratosphere alone and, and, and all that. He's who I would take just because I, I, I think, like I said, those things are really hard to develop. But, um, you know, I think Edwards is a really good player in his own right. Well, and I was surprised in reading your coverage of Edwards, football player growing up. It, he's still in that early development of understanding basketball. Like Donovan, who was a late bloomer in basketball because he was all in on baseball before. Right. Edwards sort of has that same thing going on with his development. Yeah, and I, I've always thought when people bring up the Donovan um, Edwards comps, I think that I could, I, like, I could see Edwards playing a similar role to Donovan in the NBA where it's, Hey, create the majority of our offense in the half court. And, you know, you're going to improve as a passer as you go along and things like that. But I think it's easy to forget that Donovan was like a competitor first. Before we get back to Mike, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by university of Utah health. U of U health sports medicine experts give you the same care as the jazz because you belong in the game as much as anyone call 801. 
or go to sportsmed.uofuhealth.org. Back to Mike. Like when he was in high school, he was athlete, energy, fly around, defense, um, wasn't that polished of an offensive player. And, and, and he developed those things because of his work ethic, his mindset, the way he's wired uh, is like one percentile. You know what I mean? He, he has all those things. Whereas Edwards is almost the opposite where like he has all the talent in the world. Like he already has, like I went back and watched Donovan's college clips, um, Oladipo, even Harden, a lot of the guys that, that you'll hear Edwards compared to. And like the talent gap is, is huge, honestly. Like Edwards is so talented, it's insane. It's just learning how to play hard every single possession, um, how to value defensive possessions, how to make the right decisions with the basketball. Those are the things that, that he still needs to learn. Um, so I, and I think that's why it's so situational dependent for him. If he goes somewhere with strong veterans and a good head coach and, and where winning matters and every possession matters, like if he goes to golden state, uh, he's going to be a monster, you know? Um, and, and, and so I think it's just, that's where I think that those two differ in terms of their path. Well, let's make you golden state. What would you do at two if you were running the warriors? If I were running the Warriors, I would probably try to move back and get an asset and, and take somebody like like Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I think he's the perfect fit for them, honestly. I mean, you could make an argument for Okoro or, or Avdia or, or any of those guys also, um, but just the way that he impacts winning without needing the ball in his hands, I think is ideal for the way Steve Kerr wants to play. They want to keep the ball moving side to side. They want guys who can think on the fly, pass, dribble, shoot. He's one of the best shooters in the draft, even with that, those funky mechanics. Um, so I think if you slotted him next to, you know, Steph and Clay, uh, I mean, that's a really, really fun basketball team. And then he fits their culture. Uh, just his personality is really impressive. His work ethic, all those things. Um, and I think he could help them right away too. So he's someone that like, you know, we talk about fit with wise men and he, he gives them athleticism. Um, but I, I think Halliburton probably fits their timeline even a little better. And, and we've seen the Warriors, they'll go get a cheap center. You know, they've never been one to really pay um, for centers. But, um, you know, I think James is, is enticing in his own right. But I would probably opt to, to move back and get one of, those, one of those guys who fit their style a little bit more. Just having those three games, I'm sure executives are looking at a lot of AAU tape with him and in the fact that they just don't have that college opportunity to see. He's someone that's been on the scene for a while. What is the read on, on James Wiseman ahead of the draft? Yeah, James is an incredible talent. Um, you know, I mean, physically, he's, he's ridiculous. Um, just with his size and the way he moves, his length, his reach. Um, you know, I, I think that if he goes somewhere where they keep it simple with him and, and he's got a very defined role early on, um, and then he continues to kind of build out his game and eventually start shooting more threes and eventually start handling the ball more and just focus on like being really, really good in those big man role, right? Like in, in just blocking shots and finishing and, and being a sound pick and roll defender then I think he's got a chance to be really, really good. Um, the thing he's always battled is like, am I athlete or am I skill, you know? And, and sometimes if he's trying to be too much skill, then he, you lose some of those shot blocking, finishing things. And um, so I think what's so intriguing about him is that he can be both, right? And, and he can be one of these rare dudes who's like a complete freak, but also has some skill. 
Um, so I, I see him as this ball of clay type of prospect to where he's going to need a little bit of time just because he only played the three collegiate games. It's going to have been a year, you know, since he played his last collegiate game. Um, so to expect him to come in and be like a 30 minute per game guy might be a little much. Uh, but if he goes somewhere where they, you know, really stay on him about um, being elite at those areas I talked about and then kind of slowly let him shoot threes, handle the ball, do those things, you're going to have a very unique player. Let's move to international prospects because I'm sure a lot of fans aren't as familiar with them. First two in, in the early grouping, Denny Avdia and Killian Hayes. Mm-hmm. What keeps those two in that top 10 range? Yeah, Denny is just kind of plug and play, I think, you know, with his experience. Um, I, I've tried to kind of illustrate like and describe what it means to play for Maccabi Tel Aviv and, and how it's not easy. Um, you know, to play for a EuroLeague team as the greatest Israeli prospect ever against Real Madrid and, and Barcelona, um, Ephes, like teams with former NBA players. I mean, he's already in an NBA environment. You know, I spent four or five days down there uh, during the season and it's film sessions, it's practice, it's shoot around, it's, um, you know, mandatory one-on-oh skill workout the day after. It's, it's an NBA team. And, you know, he's playing with guys who have played in the NBA against guys who play in the NBA. So even if he's averaging four points a game in the EuroLeague, I think we need to look more at the minutes. And the fact that he's able to play 15 minutes a game at 19 years old um, is just – it's not everyone's Luka Doncic, right? And, and I think we got spoiled with how productive he was and how he's a generational talent. Um, but I just see Denny as someone who can come in right away and, and be an NBA starter potentially from day one at that kind of 3-4 spot. Um, he's, he's big. I mean, he's a lot bigger than people think. And we saw that with Luca a little bit, but this kid is almost 6'10", 225 pounds. So he can easily play the four in today's game. Um, but he can push and transition on, on his own. He's, uh, I think he's continuing to evolve as a, as a shooter. Um, he's a very good passer and he's really competitive. So I, I really like what he's going to bring to the NBA game. Um, it's just a matter of what's his upside. Is he going to be a guy who's more of an off ball guy who just, is like a three and D combo forward, or is he someone you can let create some offense? Um, but I really like his floor. And then Killian uh, is a really intriguing prospect. I think in, in his own right, you know, he's got great size, six, five, good body, um, really good passer and pick and roll. Uh, he's continuing to evolve as a shooter. He, he's very, very crafty um, for him. I hope he goes somewhere where they almost treat him like the Suns did with Goran Dragic where it's like learn behind Steve Nash for a few years, show us glimpses in that first year, come in, have the 23-point fourth quarter game against the Spurs or whatever because you're, you're capable of doing that. And then once we groom you fully, we'll hand you the keys and you could be pretty special um, because he's still evolving as a shooter and he's not really like a jet with the ball. Um, so I, I think he's going to see a lot of teams going under screens, forcing it, daring him to shoot. Um, and he was able to play through a lot of mistakes at, at Ulm in, in Germany, which I think helped him. Um, but it's an adjustment to the NBA game, right? So if he goes somewhere like New York, where it's like, you're our savior and just, you, we want you to create everything. Um, then I, I think that's going to be a lot to put on him, you know? Uh, so I, I think he would be best somewhere where he, 
can learn how to play off the ball a little bit and then also learn from a veteran point guard because if he becomes like a league average shooter and teams have to go over screens, he'll pick you apart. And I think he has a chance to be, you know, a long time NBA starter with, with more upside. It's just, it's a situational thing for him. I think is really important. You mentioned two guys who you remarked on their bodies. I look at uh, Pokashevsky and he has a, not the same thing. <laughs> it's a little different. It, you don't know how that's going to hold up in the NBA. Pokachevsky getting a lot of buzz for being available around the Jazz. What do you see in Pokachevsky? What's the read on him as a prospect? Yeah, long-term guy. You know, I don't think you can expect him to have an impact tomorrow or, or probably even, even the following year. Um, he reminds me a little bit. Like, he's not the exact player, but there's a little bit of, like, Serbian bull bull there. Uh, just in, in terms of the wow factor is going to be jaw dropping. It's, it's, here's this guy, seven foot seven, one who is making these crazy outlets, who's handling in transition, who's making threes off the dribble, who's blocking shots. Um, and, and if you see it in a highlight, then it's like, Oh my God, you know? And, but then if you watch the full 20 minutes, okay, maybe he got ducked in on and gave up an easy bucket or gave up an offensive rebound or, um, the physicality of it isn't quite there yet, right? So it's turning those highlights into winning basketball, I think, is is going to be part of his evolution. Um, and he's coming from a, a very low level, right? The, the Greek second league is not um, a high level of competition. And so that's where it's very different, uh, the level. It's like Avdia is coming from this super, super high level. Killian Hayes, mid-level, Euro Cup, pretty good. German league, solid. Um, and then Pokashevsky is like, that's a different realm. This is, you know, you can you look at the highlights. I mean, it's, it's like a semi-pro league, right? So um, to expect him to adjust right away to the NBA game, I think would be, would be fool's gold. But um, the talent is insane. He's the youngest player in the draft. He's so, so unique. And so I, I think you'll see a teams take a gamble on that and, and teams that can wait uh, on somebody like that. You, you could end up with a steal if you develop him the right way. The other two internationals that you see in the Jazz's range, Maladon and then Leandro Balmaro, Argentine player. Will they be available around there? And what's, uh, what's the prospectus? Yeah, I think, I think there's a, a possibility that, that both of them are there. Um, and I, I, these are two guys that are rock solid. Like Maladon is maybe the most focused kid I've ever been around in my life. Um, in, in terms of day-to-day routine, this is what I need to do every single day, work ethic after games, shooting for hours. Like he's one of those guys they had to kick out of the gym. Like, Hey, take it easy. You know, we don't want you getting injured. I mean, you can see his body fat from the combine was like 2.8% or something. I mean, he's, he's a complete machine. Um, and he grew up around basketball. His family is very close to the Parker family, um, Tony Parker. And, and so uh, he's going to be able to understand um, NBA concepts right away. Uh, you know, he moves the ball. He's unselfish. He's a, he's a good fit guy. Like he, he would fit the jazz culture, I think really well. Um, he would fit the way that, that they want to play. Uh, he's kind of a coach's dream in that sense, like that, you know, he, he's going to make the right play. Yeah. He's going to play smart basketball. Sometimes he wanted to be a little bit more aggressive and, and just kind of, you know, freelance a little bit and go get a bucket or, or throw a no look pass or add some flair to your game. Um, can be a little bit robotic sometimes, but, Great size, great length, can make a shot, and has a high basketball IQ. So I think there's going to be a role for him, you know, for a long time. And then Bulmaro, I'm probably higher on him than, than anyone else kind of in the, the draft media space. Um, 
just his motor is ridiculous. Like he's, he's six, seven and he guards point guards every single game. And he picks you up 94 feet, like nonstop. Like he's this guy with nonstop energy. Um, and Barcelona, we talk about Maccabi being hard to play for. I mean, that's, that's almost impossible to even get minutes uh, on that rotation. You know, they have, I mean, it's, it's Miritich, it's Abrinas, it's, it's Brandon Davies, like another guy, he's playing in almost NBA games when they play against, you know, like a Real Madrid. Um, so I think that speaks to his maturity, the fact that he's been able to carve out a role there. Um, you're not going to see it in the box score stats. He, he struggles to score a little bit in the half court, but guards his ass off and, and can really, really pass with either hand. Um, and just a joyous kid, has a, has a great energy about him. So, you know, probably a draft and stash guy. Um, we might not see the um, him having success in the NBA next year or even the following, but when he does come over fully, um, I, I think he's might end up being better than than all these international guys we're talking about. Like I, I really do. Who are those guys that can contribute day one? Looking at the entire draft. Yeah, I think uh, Desmond Bain is, is a name that comes to mind, you know, out of TCU. He's one of the best shooters in the draft. Um, he's incredibly smart. He's competitive. You sit down and talk with him, you're blown away at just his, his professional approach to the game. Um, so I, I think he's someone who, who can have an impact right away. Um, Isaiah Stewart, I'm just talking about guys in potentially in your range. Uh, you know, I, I think he would be a great addition to the jazz just with his motor is ridiculous. Um, he's super, super physical, great energy about him. And I think he's going to make NBA threes too. It's not something we saw a ton of in college, but um, you know, he's got a really, really nice stroke and he has shown it in, in different settings. He's a big time worker. Um, Xavier Tillman is another guy. I think right away, if we're talking about bigs, he's one of the toughest dudes in the draft. Um, Jordan Wara is one of the better shooters in the draft. Um, so there are a lot of guys in that, that, you know, that range, uh, Malachi Flynn, someone else who, if you're looking for, you know, a point guard, a backup point guard, um, who can have an impact right away, he's mature, he's smart, he can really shoot, he's competitive. So I think that's where the strength of this draft lies a little bit outside of the back half of the top 10. Um, some of these names that can really have an impact right away. Reggie Perry, I think is kind of like a sleeper name in that range, um, out of Mississippi State, like underrated ball handler, underrated passer, can shoot the three, great body. So there's a lot of dudes who, who I think can be instant impact guys. Who's someone that people should keep an eye on just beyond where the Jazz are, second round, who could potentially be a, a sleeper pick that somebody gets? I love Peyton Pritchard. Um, I, I think that he teams are going to regret passing on him uh, just because – his resume won uh, average almost 21 points a game in, in the Pac-12. But, I mean, he is one of the most confident kids you'll ever be around. He's got that killer mentality. He loves the big moment. He's got a little bit of swagger to him. Um, and he's not Fred Van Vliet, but I, I could see a similar role where he kind of fits in these multi-guard lineups because he can really, really shoot. And even though he doesn't have great size and length, like he's a tough dude, he's a competitor um, and he's going to fight every single possession. So he's one I really like. Um, and then one other name, not going to go in the second round. He's probably going to go in the mid to late first, but uh, Jaden McDaniels, I think if you're talking about a, a long-term guy, um, maybe not year one, but year three, year four, like his talent, he's a top 10 talent in the draft. Like 6'10 wing can handle and shoot. Um, I, I really like his long-term upside if he goes to the right spot. 
big Pac-12 energy with those those couple yeah, names. Yeah, I know. I live in California, so maybe the bias is shining bright there. But um, yeah, I didn't say Tyler Bay, so he's another uh, he's another Pac-12. Exactly. Uh, looking down the road, who are we going to say are the All Stars of this draft? Yeah, I think Lamelo um, and Edwards are the two that I would feel. Uh, have the best chance at that um, just in terms of like the upside that they have. Um, and, and then I think if you look at like an Akongwu, if you look at a, a Halliburton, an Okoro, these are guys that we call safe picks. Um, but oftentimes those guys who are grinders and who impact winning right away, um, they buy themselves the time to continue getting better and grow into these all-star type players like we've seen from, you know, a Jimmy Butler, um, a Bam Adebayo, guys like that. So I, I, it wouldn't shock me one bit if, if those guys turned into that, that caliber of a player. I really like Denny too. I mean, uh, I think he's got that, that kind of blend of floor and upside. But the swing, the quote-unquote swing guys who most would say have, have the all-star potential would be Edwards, um, Ball, and then, and then Wiseman as well. Not to get too ahead of ourselves, but what does next year's draft look like? Who are the names that you should start to be thinking about when you're watching college basketball over the next couple of months and think about next year's draft? Cade Cunningham is, is the prize, I think, of next year's draft. Um, he's really the modern NBA in a nutshell. I mean, he's 6'7", 215, seven-foot wingspan, uh, incredibly high basketball IQ, competitive, can really pass – um, can guard, has really improved as a shooter. So he's the one, I think, who will probably set himself apart from the rest of the class. Um, but there are other contenders, too. I mean, B.J. Boston out of Kentucky, he's really, really smooth, man. He can really, really score. Evan Mobley is the best big in the draft. He kind of fits the modern game. He can step out and switch. He blocks everything at the rim. He can handle and pass. He's kind of like a AD light in, in some ways. Um, and then you have Zaire Williams, who, who's at Stanford. He's going to be in the mix there. Big wing. Um, Jalen Green, I mean, he's a potential number one pick. You know, he's showtime. Uh, really, really explosive. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strong class. And then there's a lot of guys who are coming back to school who I think are kind of sleepers as well, um, who could make a big jump from year one to year two. So this is going to be one of the better drafts in recent memory, I think. When does that work start? Already going? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're lucky to have gotten a head start on a lot of these guys just from USA Basketball. You know, they do a great job of bringing the elite talent together. But teams, I think, are in a little bit of a tough spot because, you know, they usually see these guys at Hoop Summit or McDonald's All-American Week, um, Jordan Brand Classic. Like, that's when they get to know these guys. That's when they get their first real exposure. Um, so I think they'll have to play catch-up a little bit. Um, but I, I do think that they took the time to – during the quarantine block off a month or two to really, really study the guys they need to know. And, um, but yeah, it's felt like one really long day over, over the past however many months. So, uh, but yeah, it's well, right after the draft. I mean, we're going to have to jump, jump right, right to this class. So. It's a shame Las Vegas is the go-to spot for prospects when it comes to summer league, when it comes to, to high school events, because with COVID, I don't think you're going to get Las Vegas back right. <laughs> at yep. least yep. for right now. Uh, I cannot recommend reading his stuff enough. He is the NBA draft expert for ESPN, also a contributor for Draft Express. 
He is Mike Schmitz with us on utahjazz.com. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's a busy time for you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens on draft night. 